Grit Backstories with two grit mates, Peter and Dave on the CEO Huddle. When I was a little girl, just about 21, my mom says if you get a man, you better get a gun, cause he'll do you good and teach you right to the day that you are with. Then he'll stay drunk and gone all night and beat you till you're dead. You better learn business in the back barrel. Learn which way to heart that gun. Learn the business in the back barrel. Just gone down a time you can run. CEO Huddle 2.0. Two great mates, Dave and Pete. How are you, mate? Well, I've still got a cold, so... Have you? It's lingering on. Needs to, get, needs to go by Christmas. Now, a week ago, you mentioned on this very podcast... You've got a bone to pick. Uh, uh, yes, I do. I do, actually. Well, let's get on with it and pick it. Here we go. All brought to you by Millionaire Magazine. Millionaire.life. Learn business in the left barrel. There's gonna come a time when you can run. CEO 2.0, Dave and Pete, two great mates who were great mates long before Smashy and Nicey. Uh, so let's get it out in the open then, great mate. A week ago, we were talking your book. And it was all brought to you in association with... Camel in the Tent. No, 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 no. The other one. Millionaire Magazine, Millionaire.live, the the best fashion, uh, jewellery, lifestyle, inspirational people um, magazine online. Uh, No need to carry it around in your bag. Just go online and read it on on your your, uh, whatever you use, tablet, whatever. And it's uh, put together by our friend Millie. Millie. Now, you heard it with your own ears. One of us two is to be trusted. Yes. One of us is not. One went for a blatant plug of their own book when the other was trying to set him up for a blatant plug of your publication. So you know who to call next when you need a travel article writing. Right, great, mate. Pick away. So, um, we, we talked about your CD collection mm-hmm. and the fact you are an esteemed broadcaster. Indeed. And I then... Um, uh, mentioned the it, chap. That this we, is going to be embarrassing for me, isn't the, it? The chap we're about to talk to. Yeah. And you said, "Who? Who's that? <laughs> Who's that?" Which is. Oh, sorry, mate. And but to be fair to you, this is somebody who you might say, "Who's that?" But he's a legend. Yeah. Um, and I I mentioned to you that the other the other night. Oh, what's the guy called? The ACDC lead singer. Brian, Brian... Knopfler. No, that's <laughs> not him. I don't know, ACDC is not my genre, mate. No, it's not mine either. Um, you Google it, I'll, I'll look for it. So, he was talking to Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin fame. I know Robert Plant. Okay, we'll get him on then. And, um, and Robert Plant said, oh, so-and-so played with the guy we're going to talk to now. And the person that... We've got this week is a guy called Yar Wobble. And that's what I hadn't heard. It's like, who's Yar Wobble? Well, Yar Wobble was the bass guitarist for Public Image Limited. P-I-L. And was best mates with Sid Vicious of Sex Pistols fame. Yes. And... It really is is a is a legend of that punk era. Still playing today, um, uh, also a, a, an artist, 
Uh, a fascinating guy. Absolutely amazing guy. Really is. Mark Evans. No. Who's well, Mark? That's, that's only Mark. Mark Evans. Who's that? ACDC. No. Lead singer. Oh, lead singer. I think he's a guitarist. No. You, Axel no. Rose. Axel Rose. <laughs> just looking at it here, Google. ACDC, lead guitarist. Yeah, I know. Just, I just don't get no. it. ACDC, lead singer. List of ACDC members. <clears throat> Go on. Angus Young. No. Phil Rudd. No. Cliff Williams. No. Brian Johnson. Yes. There you go. Brian Johnson. Stevie Young. Brian Johnson. Geordie. You said Mark. I, did, I never said such a thing. Am I imagining it? Yes, you are. You're hallucinating. <laughs> <laughs> you said Mark. No. Your, your, your credibility as, a, as, as an authority of music <laughs> is just going down that pan, baby. You led me down the garden path, but I it didn't... was the wrong garden. When we play this back. You said Mark. You will see. I did not say Mark. That's why I was thinking Mark. Um, Mark? That reminds me. Somebody said to me the other day, in all seriousness, um, America has just passed 600,000 deaths in COVID. And I immediately said, that's just absolute rubbish. And he said, it was on the BBC this morning. So first of all, it wasn't. And secondly, it's not true. <laughs> yeah. Good on you. And it was 296,000. That's right. But it just it just shows you, doesn't it? that Because pro rata, it's not too far away from the UK's levels. No. Um, but because, because you thought you heard it, um, you didn't. Just like I never said Mark. I'm going to listen to this back, great mate, and we're going to find out whether you say Mark or not in that first leading. Not a chance. Okay. 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 And if I do, if I did, even though there's not a chance, there's more chance of six hundred thousand people have died of COVID in America than I said Mark. Right. So, so let's get to Yar Wobble. Yar Wobble. I promise you, an amazing guy, fascinating. Some of his stories, and one of the stories is his real name is John Wardle. John Waddle's a journalist, sports journalist in the northeast of England. <laughs> so, so why is he called Yar Wobble? Yeah. You'll have to listen. We'll find out. All brought to you in association with Millionaire Magazine, Millionaire.live, Camel in the Tent. Spreadsheets, GDV, fast cars, or just great backstories. It's two great mates on the CEO huddle. Now, this is a place where we, we believe that everyone should be their own CEO, and if they're not, then somebody else is. And it's all about empowerment. And I'm joined today by uh, somebody who personifies empowerment, um, somebody with an amazing history, has been described as having created one of the most remarkable and idiosyncratic discographies, easy for me to say, of any musician in Britain during the last 30 years. So I'm delighted to be joined by John Wardle, a.k.a. Yar Wobble, and we'll get to why he's got two names. So, John, thanks for joining me. Yeah, not at, nice. Thanks for having me, Peter. Yeah, it's 40 years now. I'm getting right up there. I thought I've been over five decades now. 78 I started. Five decades. So let's yeah. start there then. So you, you, you're an East End boy. Stay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so growing up in, in that kind of world was, was different to today or, or has it changed much? Well, we used to play a lot of croquet, a lot of tennis. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, <laughs> he's like, you're not going for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very, very different. I mean, 
yeah, obviously it'd be, it was a dock area. It would be comparable to northern industrial towns. You know, you had that what the people called the American term blue collar kind of attitudes to things. Yeah. Um, everybody was kind of in it together because you all had council. Eventually, you all had council places. It took a time for some, you know, but eventually you all had council places. You um, and all those council places had a uniformity. There was a uniformity to the society. It was um, not really the done thing. It, to, it was okay to... There was still a strong element of being able to um, educate yourself, the whole adult institution thing, which is fantastic. The D.H. Lawrence kind of thing was right. strong. Right. Um, but you, um, you, know, you wanted to be careful with the individuality thing. You know, it didn't go down maybe too well. You know, you had to be careful about that. Yeah. Or, or you had to be tough because you had to be capable of punching people in the nose yeah. as they, because they would surely try to punch you in the nose. You know, um, if you, you know, if you had ideas, it was, if it was perceived you're having ideas above your station, you know. Yeah. What, you, what you tended to get was everybody mucked in for sure. That was a thing, like a team effort thing. It was later on with the Thatcher years, the middle class thing of, of it being kind of clever to um, be, you know, to get ahead and be in competition with people around you. You know, that was seen as a, as a bad thing. You know, I saw, I, I, I was a visiting fellow at um, Goldsmith University 20 odd years ago and a sociologist visited there. He was a well-known guy. He'd studied the full production line for years. So he worked with Tom Dick and Mick and Harry, and they all went to each other's kids' christenings and weddings of their kids. They'd be there as as they started to die. They'd all go. If Tom died, everyone would be at Tom's funeral. And, you know, it was a brotherly kind of thing. He then, they all worked on it, but they worked together. They played together. They were in social clubs, you can imagine. And then he studied, I think Microsoft, I think it was, and those kind of brands, he studied them. And completely different ethos, you had teams of people, and those teams of people would um, be in competition with other teams, but more importantly, they would be in competition with each other. And if you did the dirty, maybe, or you jumped ahead of your teammates, that was seen as a good thing. Whereas obviously, from where we come from, um, if you if you worked an angle and blew everyone out, you were likely to take the punch on the nose for that, and worse. Yeah, you did. Well, that, was, that, was fr that was frowned upon. That's probably one up from being a grass. In yeah. a way, you know. Do you think that was because um, if everyone's kind of in it together and, and you know times were were tough then, that that's more a bonding experience than when times are you know inverted commas good. Don't you think we bond more when things are bad? Well, I just think it's... Look at the top. We've had a lot of... I mean, I've never known such... I know this isn't the case for everybody, but generally such a burst of... Um, over the last two or three decades, um, people generally have done very well. You know, people really got hold of a lot of equity and capital through property. People started to... You know, property went up in value. It was one of those periods... People who have been inheriting property off their, you know, as their mums and dads died or whatever. There was certainly people had more money this last 30, 40 years. There was a lot more wealth somehow was created, generally speaking, you know. I know it's never the case. There's 
you've got rich, you're always going to have to have poor. But I've noticed with this lockdown um, that things obviously have gone the other way. Suddenly money gets tight, things get very difficult for people. But you know, it's a lot of people saying how they've enjoyed lockdown because a pound note's a pound note again, but things are very simple again. You know, it's like life's more simple than what it was. Um, mm six seven months ago you know it's not as complex and uh you know, it boils down to the important things a roof over your head that was always the same when i was a kid mm. um uh at least starve with a roof over your head you yeah. know so yeah. having a roof over your head having food on the table and um not doing um not having to you know uh, you know, live a really complicated life and take three or four holidays a year and all that stuff. You yeah, know, and family. Uh, family. Yeah, family. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. we're in lockdown. Um, well, it seems like two things. First of all, if, if you don't get on with your partner and your family, it's, it's brought that out. And if you do, yeah, it's made, it's bonded more people, hasn't it? This. Yeah, that's right. And um, you know, it's actually got. You know, I've I've, I've enjoyed it anyway as an artist because it's just been a lot more um been a lot more i could I, I like pottering about painting pictures and making music you know i like composing i actually enjoy it so for me that's been fantastic you know really that's been all right you know um but yeah family's been great me missus has worked from home um it's but which is it's all been nice to be younger boys we're just making a racket there actually it's like that's typical it comes in it's like you don't see me on the on the phone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He, he's just looking at football boots or something. I don't know. He's like, come on in. Come just going upstairs. But the um, but the yeah, it's been really it's been it's, it's been really nice. You know that side. Just the basic human. You know it's been nice having him back. So we've been watching all the football. He's got me at it with the football because he's loves football. You know um, he was a good player. So he sits there discussing all the tactics and loves and all, the, you know, so that's been really nice. And 61, you kind of think it's not, I still get on with me boys. I've missed my eldest boy because I haven't seen him since the lockdown started. You know, right. I think he's coming over, I think in a couple of days, he lives in Liverpool with his girlfriend, you know, so I've not seen him. But yeah, so anyway, so I've jumped around in all over the place. Yeah. But yeah, life <laughs> is, is simple. You know, um, you know, there's a simplicity to it, and it's and life empties out a bit. You know, whereas when there's lots of money and you know everyone's off taking, you know, unbelievable, really, three, four holidays a year. That's what a lot of people were doing. It's life gets very complex. It's the CEO huddle brought to you by Millionaire Dot Life. Great backstories with two great mates, Peter and Dave, on the CEO huddle. Let's talk about your story because that, that's really amazing. So um, let's go around kind of 17, 18 and you're in the East End and you, you have a few mates and it seems like there was four of you called John. Yeah. You got in a band. Now, now there's a couple of things here. Um, a couple of the band members beca- became with you very, very famous. So yeah. can you tell us about about the four Johns and how that came about? Um, oh, well, I, I knew Johnny. I, I got expelled from school. Um, I like to say that I won because they 
I would, they, they expelled me and they threatened to call the police if I went anywhere near school grounds again, is what they said, yeah, just near school. And um, they invited me back, one of the teachers there, the top big Tottenham fan, and he said, oh, we'd love you to come back and do the prize giving. And I said, do you realise that means I won? That means <laughs> I won. I, I won, I beat your system in a way, you know. And I actually said, I can't do it because it doesn't feel right. It means I've won. It kind of sends off a really bad message. You yeah. can't do that, you know. Um, but anyway, well, I ended up... Why did you get expelled? It, well, it was a fix. I mean, I was really bad. I was like a career criminal in that regard. I was a very naughty boy, but they, I actually got fitted up in the end. You know, um, I, I was accused of driving a motorcycle actually around a school, yeah. which I never did. It was a guy called Ronnie Britton, my, one of my best mates who's dead now. He'd done it. It weren't me. I wasn't even school. I was bunking off that day. So uh, that was ridiculous. But it was a fit, fit up all, yeah. all day long, but whatever. You know, as I say, I'd been at it. Um, and I was very naughty and very disruptive and all that. With you know, I was a real nuisance, actually, to be fair. Anyway, I ended up at... Um, um, I was right at primary school. I was a top boy in my class at primary school, you know, but I, I went there. I just lost, yeah, lost it. I went back and did a, a degree as a mature student in me, in me 30. So I made up for it, you know, but anyway, I ended up at, um, got expelled from school, ended up at Kingsway College of Further Education. I suppose it's like a sixth form college, you'd call it now, really. And that's why I met Johnny Lydon, Johnny Rotten. So it was before the Sex Pistols. We become mates. He was about three years older than me. He'd had meningitis. Um, so he was going back there. That was the story. And he went back there to do his GCSEs. Sex Pistols come along, so he had it away early. I, I don't think I got any GCSEs there, to be fair. Um, you know, and it wasn't a bad college. I liked it there. But I was up the road. You know, punk started. And then post-punk and all that, you know. Um, and that was it. So, And so I met John. Um, Sid Vicious, who was also called John, he went there. So he went there. I went there like 74. Um, and then, you know, 75, Sid come over. So me and Sid, not John was already in the pistols. The, the whole thing had started off. And then Sid, um, uh, uh, Sid had, um, had a psychiatrist. And I used to go and see the psychiatrist with him because he was already having, you know, his mum was a drug user, God bless her. And he was a bit of a kid who sometimes didn't have anywhere to stay, Sid. Literally, you know, he stayed with a, a dear friend of mine. He stayed there. I didn't even know my, my mate knew him at that time, but it turned out he'd put him up even. He, he, his mum had been, um, as I say, a bit of a, she was a heroin user. Um, and she's been, that's been documented, you know, so she's dead now. Um, she um, went off to Ibiza with him, which was a bit of a hippie hangout at that time, you know. And um, and then they come back and they lived in Tunbridge Wells. They lived in Bristol. And um, he actually had a bit of a Bristol twang, apparently. So a lot of my mates who knew him would put that accent on, like, you know, around him. And But they looked after him because he came to London to the East End. They had a council flat up the top of a tower block in Queensbridge Road. And um, and he had, he had a bit of grief. He dressed as Ziggy Stardust, you know, so mm. you would get grief. And... and by all accounts, he, would, he was quite game. He'd have a fight back, you know. Um, him and me mate, who looked Terry, who put him up, fell out because there was a party around some geezer's house in Hackney. And um, 
and Sid could get on would be speaking could get annoying and start getting aggressive and get on to people a bit and he started put throwing his weight about a bit and me mate Terry I did a radio documentary on it actually Terry said well I lost me rag with him eventually and I had to shut him up and I just reached out for the nearest thing at hand which was a meat fork and plunged it in his neck he said you know and our friendship was never the same after he said you know so um anyway Sid and I used to go and see a psychiatrist at that time Sid psychiatrist and um, this bloke was very well-meaning, kind of Hampstead egghead kind of bloke, living in so one you, of them. So you, you went along with him, or just for Yeah, you? well, the reason being, they don't, that, that sounds like the bloke that, well, I, I didn't have mental health, but my mate did, that's what it sounds like. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, but yeah. actually, his, his psychiatrist asked him to bring me along, because Sid was telling him that life wasn't worth living, and that he might as well just finish it all, and this, that, and the other, and he'd say, who do you hang about with? Well, come in here with your mate, John. And Sid was called John as well. Yeah. And let's have a, let's get Britain to John and just see if we can talk you out of this. And me and Sid obviously had a little chat before about what we'd say. It was all a big laugh to us. Obviously, I came to realise many a true word said in jest to be yes. there. But we go in there and the bloke says, John, he says to me, John, he says, looking at Sid, tells me life's meaningless. And that he is no point. Really. I mean, what do you do? Do you have an interest in life? And I said, oh, yeah, very much so. I like football. I play football. I go to the movies, I like films, you know, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I do. Yeah, life's, I love reading. Yeah, life's very much worth, got a girlfriend, life's worth living. Well, can you tell that to Sid? You know, and I said, well, I don't know if life is worth living for him. I have thought about this. And Sid looked at the bloke like, see, see, you're my mate. There you go. You know, and the bloke was snooping. He couldn't believe it. So he didn't know what to do, the poor bloke. He didn't join the Samaritans, John. Yeah, hello, Samaritans, pull yourself together. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just terrible. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been good with the Samaritans, though. Um, but um, anyway, you know, was, uh, we come out, we kept poker faces, we come out a lot. Uh, I came to realise years later, like I say, many a true word said in jest. Mm. You know what I mean? So, uh, so can I just yeah. ask, them, sorry to keep interrupting, but... Were you no, that's all right. I'll talk. I'll you just, interrupt away. I'm not. Well, kind of, I just want. I just want to get to that kind of picture of what was going on, really. So, were you playing guitar at the time, and was he? No, no. I, I, okay. I, I wasn't. No. I, this was like '75. You know, oh. I didn't start. I got hold of a bass guitar. '76, '77. Right. I mean, '77, I think. Um, and uh, you know, it was a little Music Man copy. I mean, I used to play a bit of bass before that. I'd borrow Sid's bass because he'd so given the pistol. So he was playing at the time, was it? No, no, he wasn't either. The pistols hadn't really started. I mean, the pistols were, were just fledgling. Mm. Right. It's my, it's my little baby I look like. Mm. Um, That's a dog, by the way. Yeah, 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 it was Tyson. He's a good boy. Um, yeah, um, Pistols had barely and, and shows. This is seventy five. This is a long time ago. It's right back in a seventy five was a great year. You had Roxy music and all that kind of stuff going on. You know, Sid was funny. He'd walk into shoe shops up Sloan Street. You know, you got like step women stilettos. He'd get a penny. Yeah, you got these in a size fourteen. And all that. So, you know, he's a funny bloke. You know, but um. Anyway, no, so Pistols hadn't started. I, I didn't, I got, I, I, my first bases I played was Sid's bass when he was in the Pistols. And he was in a horrible old squat in Warwick Road where Keith Levine and Peel was, all the, all very druggy place. And I'd borrow Sid's bass and Sid would play the Ramones and I would play 
dub reggae. I can't, I, I get my head around playing some kind of dub thing. And he'd say, you're shit. You're boring the way you play. It's too slow. And I'd say, no, you're shit. You're boring. You just play really fast. Like, you don't play proper lines. So yeah. we, we disagreed from the get-go, you know. But I got hold of a little crappy Music Man copy 77, and I had a squat in South London in the borough. And... Um, and, and I, I had an amp and, and the lead, the, the, the jack lead, but I, I sold them for beer money and tranquilizers because I was using Spleckley Blues at the time. So Blues cut with Strickland, I think. Um, this was after the great heyday of, uh, of, 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 of sulfate powder, you know. Um, so you'd have the powder form. It was, it, it, you'd, you'd hear a stand on end with it, you know. And then pills came back again like the people were you know obviously made in people you know people's uh basements or whatever obviously illegally i would imagine i don't mean i don't mean they were the kosher pills you know they would have been bootleg i suppose and they were cut with all sorts of things and they weren't that great but you know you you'd get high but I, I remember you know for a while there everyone on valium to kind of come to, to bring the effects to right. calm down the effects so i remember that big thing then when i was in the squat cider so john Blue, blues and Valium you know, to bring you down. But anyway, I sold, I guess I sold the amp and the lead yeah. to get money for, you know, cider, Valium and blues. And, um, but I learned, I learned it was a high action on, on the Fender Music Man copy. And I, and I burnt all the, all the, it was like the young ones that we sold. I burnt all the furniture to keep warm um, with a bloke called Brian Ted and a mate called Vince Bracken. People I shared the squat with were very, very, very angry with me because it was their furniture, and it weren't bad furniture. It weren't great, but it was all right. Anyway, I um, I used, there was no furniture, and they pissed off. They went away. I'd lean the base against the headboard of the bed, and it was really awkward. But I learned to get a sound, and that's why I learned to play good. I think because I had this crappy music man copy with a high action, but I could get a sound out of it. So I'll oh, shut up now, you know. No, 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 that's amazing. So, so you're in this, you're in this bed state and you burn all the furniture. And what you, what you gloss over is the fact that you're taking drugs by this stage. Oh yeah, yeah. What, what age? Oh yeah. Why? No. What age were you? What is real? How, how old were you when you started taking? Drugs? Oh, oh, oh! Just started taking. I was probably 15, 16. Really? Yeah, and, quite and young. Was, so what? I mean, the bigger the, the drug you were given, the drug you were given when you're young, of course, is booze, which is a drug. I came mm. to see that, and you're giving that at ten or younger. Yeah. I mean, I think I had whiskey on me dummy as a kid to shut you up, you know. Mm. Um, but you'd but you'd have but you'd be given a very strong shandy age ten, nine, ten, and we had the altar wine, of course, we were altar boys, you know. Um, and I think the reason being, the logic was if you wean kids onto it they go into the pub and getting picked they'll hold their drink better of course it's mad really it's like giving somebody like a, a little bit of heroin so if i give you a little bit of heroin then you'll learn mm. to control it you know i never could you know i like i love to drink it took me you know lit my lights up do you know what i was like a christmas tree you know i loved it you know so i learned very early on you know one drink's too many a thousand's not enough so i would i would when I did my first gigs with Pill, I'd stay away from booze until after. Because once I started drinking, you couldn't stop me, you know. Yeah. So, but I love drugs. I love drugs as well. You know, they got you, got you high. You know, you wanted to release the tension you felt. You wanted to feel high. You know, mm -hmm. done the job for me.
for yeah. a while, you know. So they formed the Sex Pistols, but you didn't join them. Why was that? Well, no, they... Sid weren't, Sid weren't in the sex... Actually, the time Sid wasn't in the Sex Pistols at that point, but he's in the squat. He joined some other band, I can't remember what it was called, with Marco Peroni from Adam and the Ants. As you, go, mm-hmm. you know... It, John formed, John went into the Sex Pistols and their bass player was Glenn Matlock. I went over, he said to me, come over, I'm in a band. I said, where you been? He said, I'm in a band. And I said, in a band? He may as well have said, I've been training to be a 747 pilot. No <laughs> one was in bands then, working class, you know. Anyway, he said, you want to see us rehearse? I said, okay. And I thought, this is going to be terrible. He can't be a singer. Yeah. And I've got, even then, I've got this thing of being polite and nice and just thinking, I have an inner, inner voices and the inner voice said, look, whatever it is, don't tell him it's crap. Just encourage him. Just say, yeah, it's great. It's going to be useless. So I went to see him and the the one who impressed me the most was Glenn Matlock. He's a bit taciturn of a bloke, Glenn. But he was, um, I think, like a grammar school boy kind of kid, you know. Um, but he um, was, I thought, really good, really good musician. You know, obviously knew his scales a bit and uh, had some lessons, I would imagine, and could could play a little bit. You know, and very quite musical. I could I could hear he was picking actual tunes and melodies out, and he obviously knew a, a, a little bit about chord progressions. I would have thought, and the other two weren't slouches either. So I was quite impressed. And then John doing his thing. Because he's very charismatic, he's like, "Wow, this is terrific! You know, this is really good." But they they stupidly really kicked Glenn out and put Sid in. It's probably their demise. That was, I guess, that didn't happen actually till '77 or something, I suppose, or '78. '77 it would have been, yeah, I guess. It's the CEO huddle brought to you by Millionaire.Live. Spreadsheets, GDV, fast cars, or just great backstories. It's two grit mates on the CEO huddle. There's business in the Without Sid Vicious, would would it have been the same? Would would they become? Oh, they had they, they had big success before Sid joined. Oh, did they? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, he was, you know, they were a big, big band then, Peter. Yeah, um, Sid was actually seen as a strange move, really, as I recall. Glenn was really, um, yeah, it was, they, they that, never mind about the the, the the bollocks and all that was done with 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 Glenn, not Sid. Oh, Right. Oh, it was, oh, Glenn was the, that was everybody was really shocked when Glenn got got put out. Yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. then and then Sid lasted, I think, just a few gigs. He couldn't really play, you know. And he ended up, um, you know, he did the American tour and he'd be cutting himself and this, that, and the other. And uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, didn't last very long, you know. And then that ended. John started public image, and he phoned me. And do you want to be in a band with me? I'm like, yeah, I'll have some of that, you know. And um, and Keith Levine, you know, who we knew around the scene. That was it. Off we went, you know. Yeah. And then so, and that, that was a very... There was, talk, there, was, there was talk of me being... I didn't know till after. When Glenn got out, it, there was talk of me joining the Pistols. Right. Um, which would have been the worst move ever for them and for me. Why, why would it? Why would that? Because in Peel, I was able to play my own bass lines and development naturally. I was really lucky. So I'm like a young footballer comes into a team with natural attributes and, and the team around you plays to your attributes. Yeah? How lucky could you get? Yeah? You know, um, rather than 
no, no, can you just change it to that? Because you're not playing a proper, you know, you could play the, the, one of the notes in that scale wasn't quite right. You would have had all that. Mm. You know, I play very modal, very natural, kind of naturally, and it kind of made it. But less imaginative guitarist than Levin might say, oh, can you change that? Or can you, with the pistols, I would have had to learn their parts. I would have developed into a different kind of musician. So just as well, and good for them. I, they considered me too wild. I think they thought Sid was more acceptable than me, from what I can <laughs> understand. Which I, I'm mates with all of them now, actually. But yeah. at the time, I was a, a very leery. And I can see why you're a young man, you think it's blokes a bit too fucking much to handle. I could yeah. see that. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. To to be too much and Sid Vicious was more acceptable. That's kind of some statement, John. Yeah, well I was quite yeah, I was quite leery, you know. Um I was quite a handful, you know. Well intentioned a lot of the time, but you know, yeah. I mean I broke into the Sex Pistols rehearsal room with a bloke called Dave Crow. We were up the West End, we couldn't get a taxi back, we were lagging drunk. We didn't smashed our way into their thing, and their crew come back from a gig and didn't even check up in the loft part where we were a kit. Probably just as well for them, you know. <laughs> yeah, they come back like you know on a on a Wednesday night, uh, uh, you know, early hours in the morning. They'd come back at six or seven in the morning or something. We were a kit upstairs, so we heard them come and just as well they didn't come up. And you know they were all discussing it being broken into, but didn't check everywhere, you know. Right. And what was it like then? So you you kind of rebellious and you, you didn't want to be in the pistols just for the sake of it. Um, but then you became an, in a band. No, was I, I wasn't. I wasn't asked. No, no, it wasn't mentioned to me about it. I only found out years after it was discussed. Right. You know. But then suddenly yeah. you're in a successful band and you're famous. You're on top of the pops. Yeah. So how did that feel? Did that change you? No, not at all. Um, you know, I don't know with me. I'm just all about having fun. And, you know, I've got that kind of, uh, that general sort of, how can I say it? I saw the, you'll get this, Northeast. The, I'm not like saying I'm like this, but, you know, the, the doc documentary on Paul Gascoigne, the footballer, I saw last week. And that I've got that general mischief-making I don't take any of it too seriously. I love playing. I haven't got too many airs and graces, so I never turned into, like, I'm an important person or anything. I just, you know, um, love the music, and I still like that. I still love making music. I still love playing. I still do gigs and active, you know. So I never, you know, the only, um, I, I, you know, years, months on, I'm st I, I've gone back. My old man had said to me, in 77 before you know pill came you either give me 20 pound a week or you sling your hook which is fair enough and um so i slung me hook and i got back there in 78 when i got you know just to stay for christmas 77 actually 70 just to stay for christmas and in march 78 i'm still there and outstand me welcome and then so I get into pill, I get £60 a week, so I can give the old man 20 quid a week. So he's happy with that. That's done. But I've got to still behave myself. My mum would leave me tea, you know, in them days, out for me. Well, she'd leave it in the oven. So you'd come in. So my regular thing would be to come in at 11, 30, 12, 1 o'clock, pissed, and get stuck into me tea, like, you know. And one morning she's got up and she screamed because she's come in 
and she thought I've gassed myself. Do you remember people used to gas themselves? You know, heading it. I've, I've got me. What, what's happened is I've got me heading the gas oven to get the to get me dinner out, but I just fell asleep. I just dropped asleep, so I was asleep with me head in the oven, and she screamed, "Harry, Harry, yeah, wow, he's killed himself!" Like, uh, didn't realise there wasn't a smell of gas or anything. I just hadn't, you know, she'd leave it at me heat up. I hadn't even managed to get the oven on or anything. I just fell asleep with me head in the oven. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I was a regular kind of bloke, and it was it was about a year after that I'm thinking hang about we're on top been on top of the pops I'm struggling to get me 60 quid a week and I'm still I'm in a council flat so I was getting the up with that a bit so you know eventually I changed that and left till but you know so did you leave them and did they carry on or did it break up oh uh, well no they carried on I, I left I thought the business was really badly done that, that doesn't matter you know you look back you know it's just mm. whatever it was a great it was a great thing for me to get involved in. Eventually, I got me publishing money. It took 15 and a half years. Or was it 16 and a half years? I think it was 16 and a half years it took for me to um, get me publishing money sorted. How'd you like that? That's mm. the, welcome to the music business. But um, it, was all, it was all very, the business around Pill was all very sort of opaque and, uh, you know, it's all a bit silly, all badly done, really. We'd have management, you know, um, so that wasn't, that wasn't smart. You know, but whatever. It was what it was. And, you know, the good side of it was you were unfettered. So you can make the music you wanted. And, you know, and that, that also kind of meant the business wasn't done very well. But whatever. You know, it got me started. And the important thing when I left, I kind of thought, I suppose, it, the game's up. But one of the good things with Pill, though the money was, wasn't great, you could, I could have access to studios all the time, you know, through the Virgin account. So I would go and get loads of studio time. I thought, if I can't get money, I'll go and make records and learn how to make records. So that was great. And I left Pill, and I thought, oh, that's probably the game's up. But I ended up working with Kang, with Jackie and Holger from Kang, who are really legendary people. So I'm over in Cologne working with them, and then I work with Francois Falkin and The Edge and everybody. So I started rolling immediately after leaving pill it was so pill, pill was great it really kick-started yeah and and i saw the 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 metal box album it, it was quoted as saying dysfunctional music made by dysfunctional people but stands the test of time as has been a an iconic piece of music that's right absolutely and in a way you know i i think i just i was really just the beginning of me i was on fire with making music and I think where their heads were at a little bit, John and Keith, I think was a little bit more kind of business-wise. I don't think it was, it was the impression I kind of got back then was, you know, it was more about kind of getting to New York and, you know, kind of staying in New York and hustling, you know, on the scenes kind of thing generally. As well as making music, you know, I didn't, you know, whereas for me, I'm not, it sounds like I'm looking down my nose and I'm not, we all hustle, you know, I mean, we all hustle and do what we've got to do in, in the music game to, to you know to, to 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 survive you know and um but but at that time i did kind of looking i was really serious you know about music and fusing different types of music and you know i i was on fire with it at the time you know and so in a way pill were very slowly we only did 20 shows i think in two years you know it was very few shows and and I wanted to do more, you know, I was really wanted to do more and I wanted to, you know, make 
or you know, ideas for all kinds of music, which I went on to fulfill. You know, a lot of like I was getting the idea with world, what came to be called world music. You know, um, but that was a big thing for me. You know, um, doing stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you know, working with musical styles from around the world and people from around the world and incorporating jazz and stuff. I was listening to a lot of Miles Davis at the time. So it was really, it was it really it was the best thing I think to move on from Pill. It was it was only I was only two years in it, but we did a couple of great records because I think the first album was really good as well. And no, you know, like I say, I think for me it was it was a good it was a good move right. for me my development as a young as a young fella. It was and, it was a good thing. And you kind of glossed over that, but you you did something with the Edge from you too. Um, yeah, that's right. That was with um, Francois Kabalki and the producer had worked with with him. You know, um, you know, he'd worked with him um, in uh, I think what was it? Bloody Monday, uh, Bloody Sunday. The um, I think he'd done done some re- done a remix on that track, and I think he'd done the remix. I can't remember one or two of the other things. So he knew them. So he got on with the edge, and so he asked the edge to come over. And the edge was a really nice guy, so he come over to work on Snake Charmer. And um, Francois went on. Fran- Francois K. When we call, used to call him Frankie. Well, what they say, that, I'm going to ang- I'm going to ang- anglicise your name, so you're going to be Frankie, which he didn't like. You know, just hey, Francois, Bob, turn him into a Frank. And um, I like the dull ploddingness of, of you know making everything Anglo-Saxon and dull somehow. Do you know what I mean? Take all, take all the glamour away from them. That's what I say, you know. Yeah. Anyway, he, um, and when, when The Edge came down to the uh, studio that day, he was, um, he was, uh, to, to, for the first day, I was having a big argument with, with Frankie. So I had to say to me, look, listen, I know you are. Give us a second. I'm just, no worries. And so I had a big argument, you fucking this now when you have over some bullshit. I'm I'm sure I was completely in the wrong. Let me <laughs> let me say that. And um and it's all right, son, nice to meet you, you know, and all that. I was just sounding off. And uh, it was a great album, you know, so Holger and Jackie played on that as well. You know, so uh, yeah, it was all good, you know. Yeah, yeah. And in amongst all this, um you you had a problem with alcohol and and maybe drugs as well and so how did that affect things well that's it well that's it i mean you know i can't blame pill for that because this is a few years after pill you know i started to you know when i when i left pill i stopped taking all the powders and the and the speed of when i left but then i was drinking quite heavily as he got to 83 so i was absolutely flying at the time um drinking heavily and then I started doing powders again, stupidly, you know. Uh, I was in LA uh, on tour and started doing stuff again. And, um, you know, really, really silly. And, uh, you know, bang into trouble again with it. Just drinking booze was has always been my bedrock problem, you know. That was always the issue. And so, you know, 80, by 84, 85, you're really, you're not in a good state. You know, it's really not good. And uh, you're falling apart a bit. And also, musical styles change around then. You know, um, you know, it was a lot of kind of 80s pop was coming to the fore. Heavy bass was a bit out, in a way, at that time, you know. And everything was a bit pop. So the scene had changed a bit. And I was getting angry. I, I got hold of a council flat in Wapping, in Shadwell. 
and um, just as around that period, the, the, the Murdoch dispute at Wapping, the printer's dispute started up. And I'll, of course, that's where should a base player be? On the picket line. So I'm down on the picket line. I, I think me and a guy called Ed Shipton were the only two that ever got into the site. We got into the site. You know, I had cousins down there protesting everything. You know, we got into the site. We got in there and once we got the site, we didn't know what to do. So we just jumped up and down. <laughs> kind of made a racket and all loads of birdie constables came and ducked us up and threw it. And it, I don't think we got near. I think they just threw us out, you know, because there was so much going on. It was so lively. There was yet another charge of horses and one thing and the other and all kinds of disruption. And I think they got us and didn't know. We were like prisoners of war. They didn't know what to do with. <laughs> and uh, so I give us, I give us a couple more clumps and, and, and that was and, and pushed us away, you know, got us out of sight because it was panic stations that particular night, you know. Um, so I was an angry, drunk guy, you know, drinking around Shadwall, and, you know, at that point, and um, really letting myself go, you know. It was the proper, you know, it was getting quite... I mean, it's a very different era, you know. Shadwall was, I think, the poorest ward in the country at that point, believe it or not, you know. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, I was getting into a bit of a two and eight, and uh, you know, so... Uh, it was getting quite out of order. So uh, I stopped drinking. That was the uh, 86, you know, because it all went downhill very fast. I stopped drinking 86 and I've stayed sober since then, you know. So how did you do that? How do you, how do you suddenly stop drinking? I went to AA. You know, I know it's supposed to be anonymous, but I, I, I can't, too old to be kind of, I went to a self-help group. I mean, I went to AA, you know, um, and that, that was very strong in the area at that time in the East End. It was it was a very strong message, and mm. you know there were people that a lot of street people and you know a lot of Glaswegians and Irish people, as there is in the East End, were in it. It was it was predominantly a, a Glaswegians and an Irish, and and you know what Cockneys you had were probably Irish heritage anyway. You know, um, like myself, you know, so. Um, it was, it was a lively place, actually. So I've got great memories of that. But, you know, all right, son, you're in the right place. And what you need to do is put the cotton wool out your, take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth, son. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, just fucking listen. You know, you wouldn't really get that now. But it was just, just yeah. sit there and fucking listen, son. You know, and... Was it, uh, was it, difficult? Was it difficult, John, to go from... I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I tried umpteen times to stop. And, um, you know, for me, it really worked. You know, I got the message and, you know, okay, you, you have the withdrawals. You didn't have, you didn't have rehabs at that time. You know, you had, um, you had mental ones, you know, you had mental wards that dealt with alcoholics at that point, you know. And uh, I, I had the withdrawals, but they cut the kind people really kept an eye on me. It was a nurse. Right, it was one of the people helped me. His girlfriend at the time was a nurse, and she kept an eye on me. And um, I got through it, you know. And um, you know, I loved it because it's all about your mind. That's where the addiction is, really, in your mind first and foremost. And you start to get a momentum going the other way. And I've never looked back. So you know, yeah. that's really where my life become great in sobriety. I've got a degree. I've driven a tube train because I've got a job on the underground. Not long after I got sober. Um, and people, somebody said to me in an interview the other week, what's your greatest memories then? It's like, I don't know, well, two to stand out, walking across the big mat, 
at Birkbeck Uni, at Birkbeck, Birkbeck College, London, and you go over the map there, London University, yeah? Mm. So I'm in sobriety thinking, I'm starting a degree at London University. <sighs> How did that happen? And also when I drove a tube train for the first time, which was on the westbound central line from Stratford to Mile End, and that was like, I'm driving a tube train. How did this happen? You know? Um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And they're two of the greatest. You know, so I've had, I've, I've remarried in, in sobriety. I've got two boys, you know, in sobriety. And yeah, life just completely changed turnaround for me. It's the CEO Huddle, brought to you by Millionaire.Live. Great backstories with two great mates, Peter and Dave on the CEO Huddle. There's business in the Liberal, there's got to come a time when you can run. It's unusual that you pick those two memories because I guess everyone would ask you that question and they expect you to say something about music. But really, mm. at the core of all this is you just love music, don't you? I just love music. There's been loads of shows. I've done Glastonbury a few times, done this, that, and the other. I've done shows, done this, done. It's all good, and it all comes, it all goes, and it's lovely. I've done a track this last week. I've been buzzing with. I've done. I've been very active in lockdown. Done all, you know, composed loads of stuff, you know. Um, but you know, yeah, just your life, you know, just in terms of experience, just that personal stuff, just the stuff of being, you know alive and uh you know being open and and being sober and, and having stuff happen to you that you just never completely unusual and weird and surreal and that's the stuff that means something more than s- just doing some big concert all that stuff's great that's kind of your job in a way funny enough mm-hmm. you know so that doesn't bother me as much but that's the bit that that attracts people you know i think most people well, for me, it's to be, we all want to be a footballer, don't we, growing up? And then the yeah. other thing is, I, I always wanted to be in a band. And I wanted to be in a band because I'd want to be on stage with, you know, like Glastonbury. But then it's really strange, isn't it, how I can think of you 2 and Springsteen maybe, but most bands fall apart, don't they? Yeah, most bands fall apart. And, you know, what comes together comes apart and everything. I mean... You know, it's all it's all good, and I love it. You know, I love football. I love I love uh, music and everything. Everything everything's um, everything's cool. You know, it's fine. You know, but you just don't take it too seriously because, in essence, it's all actually about the music and what it does to you at that moment of interaction with it. You know, and that's another thing. You know, that's yeah. another thing entirely. Yeah, and a bit like with football that all football fans understand is when okay Cryf turns and does that weird Cryf turn that weird pirouette yeah that's the thing that you know really matters you know uh so you know there's you the, where you're out you're out of, something happens where you're out of time and you're in a, you know you're not in time and you're not in space you're, you're beyond time and space something else has just happened yeah. like someone does a great sex solo or something you know something else happens yeah they the there's this saying isn't there that we spend most of our time looking ahead which is fearful and then the rest of the time looking back which is regret but very little time in the now but it seems like 
when you're playing or when you see a Cruyff turn or listen to Clarence Clemens playing a sax, you're mm. just there, aren't you? You're not thinking about next week's yeah. meeting. You're there, you're there in the now. And somehow you're not even in the now that is directly linked to um, temporality. You know, it's a pure awareness that's beyond a clock ticking, you know. I mean, if to get to the heart of the matter with this, for me, I became a Buddhist over the years. I'd always swore one religion I'd never followed. They don't have a God, so how can you have a religion with that? But I did become a Buddhist. And the particular school of Buddhism I followed, which is kind of Kagyu, kind of school of Tibetan Buddhism which is very much means like old Indian stuff and actually the guy at the at the, at the front of the lineage that I follow a guy called Talopa and the very essence of that Talopa says is don't recall the six points of meditation don't recall don't imagine so don't look to the future don't think so don't even be don't even be thinking now you know don't try and work anything out don't try and make anything happen. Just relax. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, you know that sometimes it's not, easy, you though, it? just not easy, but actually, it can be done. You know, and that's what you get with something with, with a footballer. You know, this this ability with a great player. Just take a gas going. Kind of could be crazy, and obviously a very tensed up guy in lots yeah. of situations. But actually, on a pitch, incredibly relaxed. So relaxed, they all just swerve past three or four guys and you know and and be so relaxed he can think two moves ahead whereas anyone else or most players would be panicking thinking i've got to get rid of the ball you know um you know so you know yeah this 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 is the heart the heart of the matter everything all it's all phenomena it's all phenomena you know and you can't, you've got to be careful. I suppose in a way that's with the music, it, I, I don't make a big deal. It's just phenomena. It's it's empty. There's nothing to hold on to. There's no big deal. I'm, I'm no big deal. It's just phenomena, you know. Mm. And all phenomena are empty. All phenomena are impermanent, you know. I mean, empty as in they lack a discernible essence you can grab hold of. This is all conditioned phenomena, all conditioned um uh phen- phenomena are, are impermanent so there's nothing that's going to last you know and and all conditioned phenomena especially if you buy into them are suffering so if you buy into it if you start believing they've got a self or they're impermanent then you're going to suffer so that's why i don't like i don't particularly cling on to you know you just have a you you keep that quality of emptiness because then it just means it's all flowing along you know now yeah. what's what's beyond that you know, is there something indivisible or something? Well, as Krishnamurti says, you know, first of all, you have to psychologically, right? But psycholog- psychologically die to it all and then find out what's there. That's good enough for me, right. you know. But I guess if you can do that with your music and other things, it's a bit harder to do that with family, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. But, but still, there's an emptiness there, but I think it's possible to have, have where you you know you're not detached and you're cold with family you're you're warm and you're loving but you're linked with everybody ultimately you know um and that you know but you 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 you're able to be relaxed and you're you know you're, you're fine with everybody and you're loving with your family um and it's tempered with this sense this, uh, i think when you embrace the kind of 
attitude I've been discussing. What you do is, is you bring in an element of spaciousness. And that's healthy because then with your kids, you're less likely to be, but you should do it like this. Don't do it like that. You need to do it like this because mm. you've got to learn. You actually have an element of spaciousness. And it's their bloody life. It's their phenomenal existence, not my phenomenal existence, you know? Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah, then it's all no big deal. And you're, and you're more loving than you are otherwise. So you've actually got more love in that situation you would have when you're clinging on and it's all conditional love anyway because yeah. they're a mere kind of expression of your um, your ego you mm. know although i did say that to a lifestyle coach once at a party so i can be a, oh, this nice talk i can be a fucker and a couple of years ago at some party reception was a lifestyle coach who specialized in parental relationships and i said to her my attitude is kids are an extension of my ego right and they're there to fulfill all my unfulfilled dreams <laughs> i don't know here about their dreams or their plans because it ain't about that right and everyone's ah everyone so thought i was horrible but i've got the bottle to hold that position just for fun yeah and let everyone leave that party saying jar wobble what an horrible <laughs> horrible bloke and <laughs> Maybe one or two of them are kind of, he's just having a joke, but I'm quite willing to do that. I'm quite yeah. uh, like a samurai warrior when yeah. it comes to being like Larry David or something, you know, because I find that really, really funny. I've had it with people in a band years ago who were like internationalist kind of hippie types. There was nothing wrong with them at all. But they'd be talking about when we, in the old days, which is probably going to come back post-Brexit, where you'd be stopped with visas and all that on borders. It's such bullshit all this with paperwork and all this kind of, they'd be saying. And I'd say, you can't have people willy-nilly crossing international borders without all the proper checks and procedures being carried out. I mean, you know. And so, yeah, again, there'd be a huge argument. People never stop to think, geezer's got to be taking a piss, isn't he? But they never do. But anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just thinking, you'd be traumatised, wouldn't you, as a parent, if your kid went through what you went through. But you'd be delighted when they looked at you today. You see, yeah, that's right. Well, I wouldn't want them to go to, you know why? I hate the thought, because what a waste of time a lot of that. I mean, look, it's all, what ends, what, all, all's well that ends well, so mm. no problem. Yeah. But I look back and think, don't put yourself through the obstacle course that I've done, because it's so much horseshit. And, you know, you, you, you know, you go through a lot of, a lot of unnecessary kind of suffering. That, you know, I, could, I mean, it's all turned out okay, but yeah, you don't need to. For all the all the the fun of these hard drinking stories, guys like me come out with, and all the fun tales, there's a lot of suffering there as well, you know, yeah. and a lot of horseshit, and actually at heart, a lot of immaturity. So yeah. you'd you'd if my kids were like that, you'd think, well, ooh, bloody hell, you know. Is there a time, job? What would is there a time that sticks out as the worst time? Yeah, but the trouble is, yeah, there is. I mean, I, I guess right coming up right near the end of the drinking because you're suffering, you're so lost in it all. Mm. It's just awful. But of course, that turns out to be the best time because that forces you onto the right path. Yeah. You know, um, and you know. 
everything turns around is based on that. So, you know, your worst situations are your best teachers. Your, your worst enemies are your best teachers. I mean, it's true what they say, you know. Yeah. Um, so the best of times becomes the worst of times. I mean, as William Blake said, you know, the, uh, the, the, road, the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. Mm. You know, um, and at the start of this, when you you said everyone needs to be their own CEO, like if you're not, if a man doesn't have his own system, he'll be enslaved by another's. Yeah. So you you kind of go through this pain, you come out of it, and you kind of own yourself because one of the things that happens in that process is you take absolute responsibility for yourself, you know, mm. and uh, and all that, and then you realise as well the harm you've done. So you do have this thing of kind of try at least in a situation not to do any harm, you know, at least, you know. So sometimes with your kids and that, you think, John, probably the best thing you can do at this terms is shut up and step back, you know. <laughs> not yeah. easy to do, but sometimes that's the best thing you and, can do in life. And looking know? back on the flip side, what, what's, what's the best time now? No, like right now. Yeah. Yeah, right this, yeah, why not? Yeah, right now. Because that indivisible thing is always there, shining bright somehow. So that never stops. That never takes any time off. It's always there. I'm either in tune with that or I'm not. When I'm in tune with it, I haven't got a great big ego going. No. And that's always the best time, whatever it is. So in other words, how good I feel isn't contingent on setting a lot of records or doing a concert, having a load of people love you because that's just temporary phenomena, you know. And I do know that even in the best of times, the godlike realm, is one of the reasons I like the kind of Buddhism I follow where the god realm is, that's just as bad as going to hell. Mm. Just bad. It's just as bad because it's all illusionary. So you've got a god, you do some some good deeds and you have some good karma and you eat a nice state of samadhi and everything's good but then you fall from grace and then what the fall is even worse than for normal you know being a normal suffering person so you know even even in the greatest state there's the whole thing of being a human being there's always even the most sublime point there's a small part of you that's uneaten diseased is dis at ease is un is uneasy is suffering slightly yeah. you know um somewhere somewhere as part of you as my mate biddy used to say he was a great teacher to me he said human beings we're here because we're not all there that's <laughs> the point of being here and that's it you know and, and yet again with the buddhist thing you're human you're right in the middle there you've got the lower realms some of it's kind of mental states and the higher realms of the gods you know actually you're better off to be human because this is you, there's great potentiality to change to have change so you can make a great you've got the opportunity in this physical form to make great changes in your life you yeah know? and that explains why uh, be it a, a musician or an actor or whatever why you know they become successful make millions and then they go into therapy and they're depressed oh absolutely yeah because you have everything your own way it's, it's taught me to be locked down. I'm not a gardener. A guy comes, mate Ed comes and does it, does the garden here. And um, yeah, I never had a garden as a kid, you know. Well, obviously, we're locked down. He ain't come. I've been, it's just like, you know what? It's nice to get your hands dirty, mm. you know, and just doing your basic, just looking after yourself, keeping your, your gaff clean, keeping yourself clean, keeping everything clean, right? Is a yeah. nice thing to do, you know. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and I think people who go in, and I've worked with a few and seen a lot of it, they're just so, oh, man, nothing's ever enough, you know, and nothing's ever right, nothing's ever quite right, and they're very weak, they have a very weak mentality, you mm. know, a lot of the time, you know, yeah. it's very, so it's not, not healthy, so, you know, you need that down-to-earth quality in life, you know. Yeah. So, John, what would you, oh, we haven't talked about yaw wobble yet. Just, just tell it, I know, but tell us where that comes from. Hey, Captain Sid, my real name's John Wardle, and we were trying to get into a gaff one night in the 70s. Must have been right at the beginning of punk starting. We'd been somewhere. We were lagging drunk. I think we were both, you know, that lopsided thing. It's quite sad in a way for young men to be. We were lagging drunk, couldn't get through the door. And aren't my free? So you know what I'm going to call you? I'm going to call you Jar Wobble because Jar comes from reggae, like Jar Rastafari. And I love reggae at the time. Yeah. I still do, you know. I love reggae. I love reggae. I'm going to call you John, call you Wobble, Jar Wobble. I said, hey, Sid, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to remember that. I think I might have wrote it down or something on me, Andy, but <laughs> that's a great name because people won't forget that. And I kept the name. I use that as me public, publicly known as. Yeah. You know. So yeah. Sid. I love that. So I've got a couple of questions before we finish. Um, what would you say to the 20 year old John Wardle? What would you have said? Oh, I remember being at this meeting years ago and it was, okay, it's an AA, I shouldn't, AA meeting. It was one of the old first time members who was still alive. This was in the nineties and they wheeled him to the podium. It's one of the massive meetings with a podium and a microphone to say something. And I thought, well, he's going to say something very profound about recovery from addiction and about the nature of reality. And this very old guy said, all he said was, he, had, he, had, he was bent over a little guy, shriveled up little guy with a big baseball cap on. And all he said was, on the whole, I guess I would have worried less. <laughs> and I thought, is that it? Is that it? On the whole, I would have... I feel a bit short-changed here. Is that all this geezer's got to say, this old yeah. boy? And then I thought, it's fucking genius. Yeah. There's a lot in that. Zen lot on the whole would have worried less. So I'd say, son, don't worry. Don't <laughs> worry. Relax. Just relax. And, you know, what I needed was an arm around me anyway. I just needed some father figure shit, really. That's all I needed, to yeah. be honest. You know, that's all I needed was some older people that, that gave a fuck about me. That's all I really needed. I know that now. That's all I needed. I just needed a fucking arm around me shoulder. I wasn't a bad kid. Um, That's all I needed. You know, and so I just say, kid, you're all right. Now, come on. And, you know, it would take more than one word of advice. But, you know, all I needed was a bit of a big brother kind of guy to look after me a bit, put an arm around me, you know, encourage me and keep me on the right fucking route, you know. But there you go. So we haven't talked about your dad. Did your dad not do that then? No, my old man, no, he was an 8th Army uh, veteran, um, El Alamein, all that stuff. So he come back from the war. He really in a bad, you know, I, I didn't know this till years after. He'd shut, get this, this is interest. This is karma for you. Shut himself away and learned German piano pieces. So you think it's quite ironic seeing he's been killing Germans. Yeah, up to a couple of years before, never had a bad word to say about the Germans. Yeah. To be fair, but it never had a bad word. 
Now, the funny thing is, I didn't know that. I knew he played a bit. I never heard him play. I knew he played a bit of piano, but didn't really kind of, you know, think much about it. Um, and a cousin of mine told me that about him. And it was already what had happened a few years when my boy Charlie, my younger boy, played football. It's a very intense world, that academy football. A lot of bullshit intel, a lot of real chances involved in whatever. But he'd come back from games where he felt he hadn't played well or whatever, or something, you know, been played out of position. And he's a, he, he plays music. We're all musicians. He would play music, which is a wonderful antidote when you feel annoyed with something or whatever. But he taught himself German piano pieces. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. So, you know, it's like, wow, that is something else. But no, well, I, can't, I can't pretend otherwise. You know, we never we never had a conversation, me and the old man. It's mental, actually, you know? Mm. Yeah. Which was common in those days, wasn't it? Not uncommon, that's right, yeah. yeah. Not uncommon, you know. You, you know, I don't think it's as common as people, something as they're all like, they weren't all like it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, it wasn't, that was just, you know, and... You know, he'd done the best he could, you know, and there's a continuity there between. And this is the important thing. He was quite artistic, really. He was ambidextrous and he, um, you know, he, uh, um, you know, he uh, could, could, could paint. He could kind of do, he could paint, he could draw a picture with one hand and do sums with the other. You know, he was completely, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Completely come to time when he tied the left hand, but he was keck handed, as he called it. So he'd become ambidextrous. You had to learn because that, that it, it was a thing that if you were left handed, it was the work of, of Satan. <laughs> I think a bit of that. He'd grown yeah. up in a depression, you know, um, that it was tough, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know that his brother Terry became a Catholic priest, and they used to do a jig for farthings at Stepney East Station. The trains going out of South End and all that. They'd they'd do a, j- a jig for the com- the commuters to throw down farthings, you know. I mean, it's proper, buddy. Can you spare a dime? Territory so very tough. Yeah. My old man liked the army because it was a sense of security. He liked the army. He liked the officers. He thought they were some decent men. Now, could he imagine? You know, for the first time in his life, he probably met I don't know school teachers from Worthing who you know who were off that he liked, you know, he liked all that, my old man. My old man always saw himself was trying to be, he used to call them in the East End a rabble, they were a rabble. So when he wore a shirt with his sleeves rolled up, the shirt sleeves would be rolled up in shirt sleeve order. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, properly rolled up, you know. Um, even when he didn't wear a shirt, he looked smart. Right. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. one of them, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was what he was, poor sod. And you just think, God, as much as anything, you you suffered and you you couldn't fucking let all that. And i become this bloke who, you know, has led a life. He would have loved my fucking life, mate, you know. My old man would have loved to be out of the East End, which I never did feel like that. I've got to be out of here. I never did feel like that. But he would have loved to hang out with arty people. And he would have, I know, I know that. And he's like, and I know that he would have loved that. So there's a continuity. And I just think that you silly fucking sod. You just couldn't take a day out and just lighten up. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know. But as but you say, so, John, you know, they, they didn't know any different, did they? And, and unfortunately, there were a lot of these people, you know, who were intelligent, had skills, but it was 
it was hard to break out then. It's easier today. Well, well, you know, I'm named after a boy. This is what it was like then. I was named after a boy, John, his brother, who drowned. Well, he fell in the water, nearly drowned. They fished him out and he died of pneumonia. They always say he weren't given the right treatment. He died at Poplar Hospital. This was in the days before the NHS. And that was a hospital that was primarily there for the doctors, right. you know, when they got sick and all that, you know. And, um, you know, you can imagine the poverty. Do you know what I mean? The, the the way they were it was just really unremittingly tough and sometimes when you you've got that kind of a life there isn't a lot of room there isn't a lot of space to be loving and kind and compassionate it's just it's just how it is so yeah. you know somehow in, in this phenomena the point comes with me because of all this that's why i don't regret any bad experiences or even the thing with the old man that causes you to be aware of lack of love and that he would have had a lack of love and how you can rectify that situation in the world in your own way. So it's all, you know, mm. positive, you know, can't really, yeah. you know. And um, I mean, this is another touching thing. So I never really, as I said, I've never really had a discussion with him or talked with him about anything, you know. He was, he had tonitis, you know, so he'd, he'd sit in the kitchen and yet with a light off with Beethoven blaring, you know. Now, funny, I, I, I like Beethoven. I mean, so I, it's not like, oh, I have everything to do with my old man. It'd be not at all, you know. Yeah. But, I, but the funny thing is, in my book, I've got a picture of him. And he's in the desert, and he's sitting in a tin bar with two, two or three other geezers. I didn't know who they were. And um, one of the geezers, he... Um, a, a bloke from Southampton sent me a lovely letter. Yeah, that geezer in the tin bath is my granddad, Harry, next to your dad, Harry. And he's blind because not long after that picture was taken, their convoy was attacked um, by Luftwaffe in the desert. And my granddad lost his sight and your dad comforted him under a truck. Wow. And you think, wow, fucking hell, you know, just this, you know. And I can remember stuff with the old man I remember him, I do remember, he never used to boast about the war or talk about the war. All he used to say is, war's terrible. You see terrible things. Yeah. You see terrible things. And I remember him talking about booby traps in Waddies, you know, in the, in the Oasis. You had to go in where places would be booby traps and you had to be careful to the booby traps. You know, I remember him talking about that a bit. But one thing I remember, he was at one point, he'd become a sergeant. He was a brain gunner. But he um, was on a motorcycle on a Norton, I think it was, and he had to go across the desert. It must have been something a bit naughty. And so he's been sent out, like, you've got to go and take this fucking message quick somewhere. And he went across the desert, down where he was, and suddenly a very strong white light appeared and almost threw him off the bike. And what he'd seen was, was um, basically, it was a cliff. He was about to go off a cliff. And this white light had come, this dazzling white light. And, you know, which, you know, these things happen, yeah. you know. Wow. Uh, there you go. Maybe, that, maybe that's that indivisible fucking thing that, you know, some other thing, so yeah. whatever. Yeah. I'll, meet, I'll, probably, I'll probably meet him again somewhere at some point, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely believe that. And you, you mentioned your book, John. So Memoirs of a Geezer. No, it's years old now. I'll have to write another one, Peter. That's um, yeah, but but yeah. I like that. the Guardian called it articulate, funny, and sharply intelligent. And I think he, the guy was right. You are. Yeah, 
Oh, thank you. Well, thanks, Pete. I, a lot of people say I go on too much. Your brother would probably say that. Your brother sees the other side of me when my, my goals are disallowed with the football. He's not a bad player, your brother. Yeah. You know. I know. Yeah, he tells we, me every we, week. We, the thing is, though, he tells me every week that, that they were, they were uh, three one down and he scored a hat trick and you won four three every week. It could be, it could be. I've got, so I, I, my memories, I don't quite remember it like that. I yeah. thought I was the guy getting the hat tricks, but whatever. I think you saw, <laughs> John, was it ever 2 1? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, they, they're all, it's funny, all these guys in their 50s and 60s and 70s even, and yet there's, you, you know, like little boys in the playground yeah. still playing oh, football, which is lovely in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they, they live for it, mate. They oh, live yeah. For it. It's his walking football he loves, and you know he 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 was not well a couple of years ago, and I think he's he's just yeah. delighted that he's back doing it, and it it it's the highlight of his week, and he's met great people like you. Oh, it's great. We love it, and um, yeah, there's a, a, the walking lot. You know, the walking's a moot point because the the one week there's two. I've got two lots. One on a Wednesday, it is kind of walking. The one on a Friday is a, a little bit rougher, and. <laughs> it's a whole, it's like it's kind of like giving out it'd be like giving out speeding tickets at the Indy 500 yeah. you know yeah. I mean everyone runs you know yeah. so it's just mad, mad you know yeah. really. well it's instinct isn't it you, you, yeah. you, you know he, John still thinks he's 29 with his um, when he's getting ready to go out on a Friday night yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. Ethan. Yeah, it's great. I love it. You know, yeah. you can see it. It's last of the summer wine territory, to be honest. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them. I think we maybe start playing again at the end of this month from what I'm hearing. I don't know. You know, we'll right. see. So, John, I've got one more thing to ask you before we go. I, I appreciate your time. So, um, if you could have a dinner where you could have any four people around the table to share it with you and let's say you can have your family anytime, although you could have your dad if you want. Who would you, who would you put around your table? Oh, God. This is saying, I'm so happy with me lot in life. There's no one really that I'm desperate to meet. Um, you can't have a meal on your own. <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, I often do. I, I, I eat at a place called the Chelsea Arts Club. and I often have, It's a lovely gag. I often have lunch on my own there, and I love having lunch on my own because I sit there. I get all, the staff are lovely; they really look after me. The food's lovely, and I sit there and I read a book, and I just really love it, you know. But I don't know, really. I don't know. Uh, I'm what about Miles yeah. Davis or anyone like that. Yeah, well, even Miles, I don't know if I'd like Miles. <laughs> I don't know. If I, I think he was an amazing teacher, you know. I don't know if I'd want to meet him. I admire Clint Eastwood. I'm not sure. I, I think he was even touting Trump as a before try I don't know if you'd feel the same now but and I love Clint Eastwood but I thought mate maybe you're a little bit too Republican for me I'm not so sure I'd want to sit and have with Clint Eastwood it was another hero of mine Miles Davis big hero of mine yeah. you know um so I'm yeah. not sure maybe if you go back in time maybe Whistler who started the arts club would be a great company those impressionist guys Monet um it'd be interesting maybe to have have lunch with those have a meal with those kind of people you know um, God, who else? You know, um, yeah, there isn't really any. Isn't that amazing? There isn't anyone. I'm, I'll probably finish the interview and think, oh, why didn't I say that or say this? You know, um, well, we might, yeah, we, we might do part yeah. two so you can think about it. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd be happy you and your brother. 
that'd do me. And I mean it, you know, you and your brother, that'd be lovely, you know, because all you can do is talk easy with people, right? Yeah. Express your truth and hear back from them what they think about life. And yeah. that's good enough for me, you know? So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in everybody, really. Yeah. You know? you I'm so, me, me, and, me and John and you and our, our dad and your dad, that'd be good. There you go, yeah. No, I'd be uncomfortable with that because my old man would be so awkward so, so would mine. Contr- so con- oh, then that's all oh, right yeah. then. Don't worry yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's okay then. Because my old man be so contrary. Yeah. That, you know. Yeah. 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 But that's great. I, there'd, be, there'd be no, I, they'd be happy as Larry, as they say, because. Yeah, my, well, I, that, see, straight away, you say that. It's like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. The thought of it's like, oh, yeah. I'm almost going. I, I, my, when my old man. I'd want to adopt the fetal position. Like, oh, no! Yeah. Like, yeah. you know well, what I mean? If we went somewhere, the, almost the better the food, the worse my dad would say it'd be. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, that, my old man, just forget it. Like, he wouldn't be having it. And I took one of my, to a very up-class restaurant. We went, Tottenham got trounced by Chelsea one night. Like, the old man was a Millwall fan, about Millwall, West Ham. And I've, I've covered Tottenham fans because of Greasy. We went to see Tottenham. They got trounced 4-0 by Chelsea. I took them all to this really nice, posh place. And um, first, there was an art exhibition in the bar. And my mate, Woody Connor, said, I'm not having it. Look, all out of focus. If I put a photo light of that up on my wall, I my Lizzie go, you gone fucking mental, he said, you know, because it's all, it's all blurry. You know, we went in the restaurant and we had, they bring all the steak and, and the lamb and all that, all bloody. And me mate, give, oh God bless him, lovely guy, but he used to sort with football tickets. That said, oi, hang about, oi, wait up. are you trying to fucking kill me? That could kill somebody that. You know, I said, I'm trying to say no, mate. That's yeah. how they... That's how they have it. It's a yeah. French way. Well, why ain't fucking French? I ain't fucking French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. But there you go. Nice fun. one, Peter. Yeah. John, thanks for your time. It's been an absolute buzz. Lovely chatting to you, mate. Give me love to your brother. I'll be speaking to him soon anyway. I'll be calling him straight after this. Nice one, Peter. Take care, John. Cheers now. God bless, mate. Bye-bye. Yeah, wobble grip, mate. Yeah. Star. Mm. The stories. I can see the smile on your face just talking about it. Well, first of all, I just felt so um, privileged to to talk to the guy. Mm. An amazing guy. What a life. Um, you know, you think, you write your, your life story. Many many cases, what would you write? Yeah. He's got five books in him. Yeah. Um, and the way that he he was a, a, a addict on all kinds of things. As as most of those people were, yeah. So he was, he was almost the same as Sid Vicious, but ended up in a different place. Mm. Fa- fantastic, and we should get him on again. Yeah, we should, we should, we should do an update, and then we can. Uh, he's got so much to talk about. Yeah, huge amount. But he can't come on unless you, unless you know a little bit more about his music. He can't come on unless I call him Brian Johnson <laughs> <laughs> or Mark. Whatever you well, that's got. what happens, you see. When you say great mate, who was the guitarist for ACDC called Mark? I never said that. And suddenly, the answer you want is lead vocalist, not guitarist. I, and he's I, not called Mark. <clears throat> he's called Brian. I said he was... I said... It must be It, it must be the medication. I said Yawobble was the bass guitarist for Public Image Limited and the ACDC lead singer ah. was interviewing Robert Plant's. Okay, was obviously then my medication. (laughs) 
Your medication. We're nearly at Christmas. Oh. I mean, you should write in and complain. <laughs> I'll write a letter. <laughs> Dear great mate, yeah. I'd write to complain. Yeah. Do you know what we should do one week? We should go through your CD collection and things would just come out, wouldn't they? You know about our albums? Do you remember this? Do you remember yeah, this yeah, album? Yeah. Um, and the first CD I ever got yeah. was the Pet Shop Boys. And I was given it when I was inside a radio station, which was called, it had been, has it switched? Because it was definitely in Stockton. A radio station called Radio Tees, local commercial radio station. Yeah. Don't think it had switched to its new name, which is TFM. And somebody went, do you want this? And I didn't even have a CD player at the time. No way. Yeah. So what did you do with it? I've still got it in my collection. No, but did you? Did you... I went down and bought a CD player. Whoa. Because I knew I'd need one. Yeah. Amazing. And, and now you don't. We were talking the other week about graphic equalizers, weren't we? Excellent. I mean, that was that when I was a kid, well, sort of 16, 17, 18, I bought a graphic equalizer and I, I, I connected it up and it, had, it must have had 20, well, rather like the desk. Yeah, 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 in front of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was moving them all. Yeah, yeah. Kilohertz. Yeah, yeah. The the like minus three fifty adjust your bass, your middle, and I, your treble, and I couldn't detect any difference in the sound, mm. but I felt good. <laughs> I felt like a producer. <laughs> I think I'll have some more of that. And I used to sit there with my headphones on, mixing the music. And now it's done mostly automatically. Oh, graphic equalizers. They were amazing. Well, we have we have the next level of graphic equalizer on this radio station that we're using the facilities of. Yeah. When just before it goes to the transmitter, it's an automated processor now, wow. which basically takes in your signal, <clears throat> sees what you're missing, what you've got too much of, yeah. does it all automatically, and then then pumps it out. Ooh. So that magic of being able to self-select is all gone. Yeah, yeah. But you're still doing it there. Are you, are you still doing it there? I'm doing our levels, great mate. Yeah. So how loud you are. Okay. And how loud I am, or not, as the case may be, and we adjust. I think my wife would quite like that. I'm not going there. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> she'd love. She'd love to adjust my levels. <laughs> I'm sure she would. <laughs> Have complete control of your levels. Bless her. I'm glad you went that direction, mate. Because if you'd have gone, if you'd have start mentioning my wife, she's a Kiwi. She's taller than me, and the hacker on a morning is very frightening. Oh, be careful. Yeah, indeed. So we should, at some stage we'll talk about rugby. Yeah. We because will. I am involved in a in a rugby club. I wonder if I can. Do you know what, Grim? I tell you, I got uh, who I got to know pretty well. Do you remember Inga the Winger, the All Black, Inga Twigamala? Twigamala, I do. He was at Newcastle Falcons. Yeah. And when he was at Newcastle Falcons, I was at Sky Sports and I was the Northeast Northeast Sports reporter. Mm. And I did a big feature with him and got close to him. I'll see if I can track him down. Mm. See if he remembers me. Yeah. And if he does, we'll see if we can get him on the podcast. Yeah. He's back in New Zealand now, so it's going to be a bit of tracking to do. Yeah. But he'd, he'd be a good, he'd be a good guy. A good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Inga the Winger, he was nicknamed. So we'll talk about that. Yep. And then at Christmas. Ho ho ho! Yeah. Man with a white beard. Yes. It'd be a, be a strange Christmas, won't it? Well, by the time people have probably listened to this, we'll have had Christmas, and we'll be talking about what about the new year? Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's all brought to you by. Millionaire Magazine, Millionaire.life. And? And if you're looking for a, um, a New Year present, if Christmas isn't for you, then Amazon Campbell in the tent. Thanks, Great Mate. Great Backstories with two Great Mates, Peter and Dave on the CEO Huddle. There's business in the barrel. There's gonna-